Father, again, we thank you for the many, many promises that you have given us in your word. Thank you that you will never forsake us. Thank you that you will complete the work that, that you began. Father, we thank you that you have brought us from being dead to righteousness to being alive in righteousness. Lord, thank you that though at one time we were alive to sin, now we're dead to sin. Father, that we were at one time slaves to sin, and yet now we are slaves to righteousness. We, we just thank you for these great truths, that you have given us a mind to understand, that we can actually walk with you, that you have changed not only our thinking, but our motivations, that we actually desire to pursue you. We know that all these things are done because of your spirit working through us, because of the gospel. It's not something that we did on our own. And Lord, I pray that we might understand now that we have been saved, if we truly have been saved, that we are salt and light. Uh, Lord, help us not to get entangled with the things of this world. So many times our thinking and our motivations start to look more like the world than a true believer's. And I pray that you would just guide us during this service. Um, convict our, hair, our hearts in areas that need to change. Uh, Lord, if we're not the salt and light that you would desire for us to be, that we'd be quick to repent and to forsake and to actually walk with you. Lord, help us to make impact and have influence on those around us and to have a real heart of, of uh, compassion toward those who are moving towards eternity in hell. Uh, Father, I pray that you would guide our steps, guide our thinking. Help us not to wander in our thinking on things that don't matter, but keep us focused on your, on your word so that you might be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> this morning, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16. And the question is this, what's your IQ? What's your IQ? Now again, if you look up IQ on the uh, internet, you, you're talking about intelligent quotient. But again, I'm going to be looking at something else. We're not talking about your intelligence today, okay? But we are looking at your IQ. And it's really found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Your IQ, your influencing quote, quotient. Your influencing quotient. What is your IQ? How, how are we influencing the world around us? Because he says we're salt and light. And the question that I've been pondering all week is, but am I influencing? Am I, am I any good on this earth? For this earth? There's an interesting story that Woodrow Wilson used to tell. He was in a barber shop at the time. And he said this, quote, I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a powerful personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut and sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered 
though it was not in the least didactic, showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service because D.L. Moody was in the chair beside me. I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect that the, his visit had, a, had brought upon the entire barbershop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name, but they knew something had elevated their thoughts, and I felt that I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. He was there, and he had an influencing effect on those around him. And really, that's what we're talking about as far as, that's what Jesus is talking about in, in, in Matthew chapter 5. What's your IQ? What's your influencing quotient today? Are, are we influencers? Because that's really why we're left here. We're here to be salt and light to a, a, a dying world. Now, think about the difference between us and them. And I don't mean them as far as the enemy. Sometimes people think, well, the believers and then the unbelievers, and the unbelievers are like the enemy or something. No, they're not the enemy. They're, they're the, the catch, as it were. They're the ones we're after. But think about the differences. The differences between the salt and light and those who are without Christ. There is a major contrast. As to our nature, they are dead. We are alive. They are deceived. Their eyes of your understanding being enlightened after salvation. They are alive to sin. We are dead to sin. They are hopeless. Peter says this, that he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This last week we had the opportunity to go to Ocean City as we do every September. And again, as I'm you know, riding the bike down the boardwalk, I'm just looking at people and thinking their, their lives seem to be so together. They're having fun. The sun is out and whatever else. And yet, unless they are a believer in Jesus Christ, their eyes are darkened. They are hopeless. Their master is sin because it says that we were slaves to sin until Christ rescued us. Now we're slaves of righteousness. <laughs> Ephesians 4 talks about the mind, verses 17 to 19. This is how it describes the mind of the unbeliever before you're saved. Futility. Again, their understanding was darkened. They were alienated. Ignorance and blindness. Now think about all that together. And you can have a warm summer day walking on a boardwalk, but if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, that's where they're at. It's a very hopeless situation. As to their direction... It says they're past feeling. In other words, they're morally insensitive and there's so much immorality out there. Or not even just immorality, some just amoral. There's just no morals at all. They're given to lewdness and uncleanness and greediness. And as John 17, as Jesus prayed for us, he said this, I do not pray that you, Father, should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. That's the whole point. I didn't pray that you'd take them out. I want them left. But I want them left so that they would be an influence and keep them from the evil one. And then he says this in verse 16, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. See, we're in the world, but not of it. But unfortunately, sometimes we become ineffective. We don't, we're not influencers because we start to be looking like the world. We're in the world, but not of it. We remain salt. We remain light. 
And the world needs us. Do you realize that the world actually needs Christians? Now, they hate us. <laughs> they get frustrated with us. But the reality, they need us. Because they are corrupt. They're in darkness. They're in blindness. And they need the light. They need us. But sometimes they even actually show it. They hate us. You think about uh, uh, Stephen before, as he was stoned. It just says they ran at him and not gnashing their teeth. And yet he held the message that could save their soul. They needed Stephen, but they hated him so much so they killed him. So we are different. And, I, and again, we could go into a lot of detail, but the point is, is we approach this text and he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We have to see that difference. We have to be, it has to penetrate our heart how much difference there is between us who are believers in Jesus Christ, who have found Jesus Christ his salvation through the cross, his sacrifice to us, and we have repented of our sins, received Christ, been given forgiveness. We need to see the the contrast, because if you don't see that contrast in stark contrast, sometimes we can get real irritated with people around us. Well, why do they act like that? Well, they're blind. That's why. Because they're alienated from the truth, because they walk in darkness. That's why. Because they live lives of self, lewdness, immoral, amoral, but it's because they don't know the truth. It gives you a lot of compassion. The more you understand the contrast, the more compassion you have for people. And the more you'll reach out to people. If you find yourself being almost numb towards others, then then we need to see the contrast. <laughs> Let me give you another thing about this. Not only is there a contrast... But it's a fact. It's an absolute fact. I can't remember what I put on my outline because I did it before I left for vacation. But under this intro, it's an absolute fact because he says this, you are. Now notice he says it both times. You are the salt. You are the light. You are. That's fact. He's not saying like, this is not a command to become light or to become salt. He says you already are. It's an indicative. It's not an imperative. Again, it's, it's, it's just a fact of life as a Christian. It's not something that you have to work towards. It's not something that you're commanded to do. Or it's, it's, uh, it's being rather than doing. He's not saying do this. He's saying this is what you are. This is your being. This is, this is who you are in Christ. You're salt and light. It's kind of like in Ephesians 5.23. If you want to, I'll give you an example of this. When it says the husband is the head of the wife... <coughs> That's something that you are, husbands. You are the head of the wife. Now, some of you do that well, and other of you are failing in that area, but you are the head of the wife. As one man said, Paul most emphatically does not say that the husband ought to be the head of his wife. He says they are, because the husband is the head of the wife. He finds himself in a position of, I like this, of inescapable leadership. Inescapable leadership. He cannot successfully refuse to lead. It's just a fact. You are the head of the wife. You're ahead. Now, the only question is, are you a good leader or a poor leader? That's the only question at hand. When it comes to you are salt and you are light, you are. That's the point of being. Now, the question is, are you good salt? Are you doing what you should do and good light? Or are you poor at this and what God has called you to do? When Jesus said, you are the salt, you are the light, he was, again, just simply stating a fact. Having been brought into the family of God and made alive by the Spirit, 
It is a fact that we are the only, now this is what's important, the only salt and the only light of this world. There's no other. Take us out, total darkness. So the question is, are we permeating salt and penetrating light to a dying world? Because again, inescapable influence. If there's going to be an influencer on this world, in this world, it's going to be us. So this is absolute fact. When you say you are, are, means it's a fact. And not only that, but it says you, and that's in the emphatic mode. You are the ones, the only ones, the only ones to dispel darkness, the only ones to hold back moral corruption. We're it. That's why Jesus said, I didn't, I didn't pray to take, for them to be taken out of the world. I just prayed that the evil one would not overwhelm them, would not destroy them. Yeah, it's us. Now think about it in the context here. So we are the ones for this area of Hornell, Canisteo, Alfred, Allman, to be the light and the salt. And how many Christians are there compared to how many unbelievers? And we're the ones left to be what God wants, to, to be the beacon of hope. Now again, we're not the beacon of hope, but we point to the one that is. Well, let's break this down. Let's, let's look at what salt did back then and what the light did. What are the distinctiveness of salt? Well, again, again, salt today is very cheap. You know what? You can go to all these and buy like a container. Was it a one-pound thing for less than a buck? I mean, it's really, you know, use it for anything. It's just a very cheap commodity. But again, back then, it was very expensive. It was, it was majorly appreciated salt. Again, when the first century Christians heard Christ say salt, they would have said, oh, you are talking about a commodity that was all but priceless. In fact, they, used, they would share salt at a meal, and it actually represented friendship and concern for the other person. Like, I am so important that you would actually bring out salt. To Romans... Other than the sun, nothing was more valuable than salt to Roman thinking. In fact, often Roman soldiers were paid in salt, and that's where the uh, phrase, you're not worth your salt, came from. Yeah, he wasn't worth his salt. Well, like to us, we'd say, well, boy, that must... No, because salt was so valuable, and here you were paid in it, but you weren't really worth that much. You weren't that valuable. Well, the, the idea of salt, though, what did actually, what were the uses of salt? What is Jesus getting at that he says, you are the salt? Now, some have said, well, he's getting at the color of salt. The color is white. It represents purity. You should be pure. And he does refer to, as far as losing its uh, saltiness, but I don't think that has anything to do with what Christ is talking about. So if you have that in your mind, well, he's talking about the color. Now, I think it's what it does. One, this is one thing, it flavors it flavors. You ever have a real nice steak and fries, but no salt on it? What are you grabbing? I know some of you are salt fiends. I watch you. I go out to lunch with you, and you're like, how many of you like salt on your watermelon? Oh, that's good. I know. It actually, that's good. See, it flavors it. The idea is this, and I think part. I, I think there's three parts to this. What Jesus is getting at. The first two are minor thoughts. Of the last one is the key. But one is that it flavors. Christians flavor life. Uh, what do you mean? In other words, the world f- seeks to find its pleasures in the things that they know about. 
and they find that it's unsatisfying. It's like Ecclesiastes 5, vanity of vanity, all is vanity, all is worthless, all is empty. You know, you can run down the path of trying to collect things or power or prestige, but when it's all said and done, it starts to, it's like, uh, you know, gravel in your mouth. It just, no, this is not really where it's at. And sometimes unbelievers look around and say of believers, you know, well, sometimes they say it this way, what an insipid blah bunch these people are. But then again, sometimes they look at certain ones and they start seeing, man, that person really has hope. That person really has peace, peace during really hard circumstances. Man, that person has joy when there shouldn't be joy because on my side it wouldn't be joy, but look at that person. And the reality is we show them who God really is. It's like putting, it's speaking the truth and saying, oh, I see, I see where they're at. I see that their hope, their joy, their peace is in something other than themselves. So I think part of that is, is uh, you attract through, through the, the character of Christ that is in you. I, I hope as a Christian that we are like that. See, sometimes the world doesn't look at Christians like that. They do look at us. In fact, a lot of times people look at us as judgmental, self-righteous, critical, hypocritical. By the way, we're all hypocrites to some degree because none of us are perfect. But, you know, really, the draw should be this, that we're on this earth, and the draw is like they're looking at us and saying, oh, I, I see something in you that I can't get anywhere else. And I'm even looking for it. I'm looking for that peace. I'm looking for that joy. I'm looking for that love. And they see it in believers. And like John said, I came to give them, or Jesus speaking in John 10, I came that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly, you know, overflowing like an artesian well. And I believe when Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth and salt does flavor, salt brings out. And I believe as we walk with Christ, it's kind of like D.L. Moody. There was an aura. There was something there that just drew you to that person. Why? Because it wasn't all about himself. Did you notice in one little comment, he, he turned his um, conversation to what was being said and had a real care and concern for the other. And so we flavor, we, we bring people to the Lord because they would expect all of us to be, you know, running after their, their things that they think are important. And when we should be depressed and when things get tough and when it should be woe is me, when we don't respond like that, they say, you have something that I don't have. By the way, it's not about this, that life with Christ is fun. I hear Christians say, we need to show the world that it's that we can have fun. It's nothing about that. I, I really wish we could just leave that conversation somewhere else. It's about showing the world that in the midst of even trials and troubles, that He is our source of strength, peace. He is our rock, right? He is our anchor. But then we even get into the gospel. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Just like, it's like a, a strong perfume. My wife wears this one particular perfume. And whenever I put it, when she puts it on, I'll like walking in the room, I'll say, what is that smell? It's just like, whoa. I won't even tell you beyond that. But it's just like, whoa. <laughs> And she always laughs. She always says, well, that's the, that's the one you like. 
Okay, but it's just that it just pervade, you know, uh, pervades the whole room. It just like permeates the whole room. That's how our presence should be. Now, the response or the reaction is different to some te- uh, people. Look at verse 15. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Some saved, some perishing. There's going to be two different responses to the one We are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many peddling the word of God. In other words, there's other ones peddling. But for some, this fragrance is to life. They they, uh, are drawn by the Spirit of God and they connect with who you are and where is your peace coming from? But then others, it's to death. And if you want to get a response of how some of them respond, is again, go to Acts 7. Stephen. And, okay, he gives them the message. You stiff-necked. They should have broke down right there. Okay, you're right. We have been stiff-necked. And yet they decided to kill him. But again, the aroma. That's what I mean by flavor. It's it's a presence. It, It should permeate. Where you're at should permeate. In your family, you should have the, the uh, the permeating fragrance of Christ, or at work, or even out and about, or at that baseball game, or that soccer game, or that college game, or wherever we're at, there should be a difference with us, okay? Well, let's look at another one. Uh, what What else does he mean by salt? It also creates thirst. You know, my question to you is this, do you make men thirsty? Kind of going back to the same idea. Do you make men thirsty? You create a thirst in them of wanting that they want what you have. Again, you know the scene. A non-Christian tends to feel satisfied with his life. Or at least he tells himself that. Things are going to get better and better. Circumstances are going to get better. But again, he comes across a Christian and finds a Christian who is actually going through a trial. And he, he looks at him and he says, boy, I want what he has. By the way, some of you are going through some very severe trials. I understand that. I do not want to minimize those trials. But understand, not only are Christians watching you, more importantly, unbelievers are. And you can either have a great witness to them. You may preach your best message during that that sickness. Or you may give your worst message. It all depends on how you approach eternity, right? That's really what it's all about. How are we approaching God? He gives us situations to proclaim how sufficient he is. The question is, are we walking with him? Now, again, I can't satisfy the thirst. I cannot satisfy the thirst, but I can bring him to the one who can. Remember what John, or Jesus said in John 7, on this last day, the, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying this, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. See, we don't satisfy the thirst of the, the longing soul, the hurt soul, the depressed soul, but we can bring him to the one who can. He goes on and says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You believe in Christ? This is what should be happening. Rivers of, of flowing water out of the heart. By the way, that idea of living waters is, again, artesian well, more than abundant. He is more than sufficient to meet our needs. Do you believe that? I, I believe that's, a, that's a, the point of faith. Lord, I have a pretty easy life at the moment. But I also believe this. 
Lord, when I come to those times of great struggle, you will be more than sufficient. But then let me back it up. That means he's also sufficient today. Are you walking with him today? Are you really that artesian well to people around? I mean, back in the uh, first century, the most important commodity wasn't even salt. What was it? Water. Everything was based around the water. You see, the patriarchs, they would dig a well, they'd cover it, protect it. Why? Water. Jesus said, listen, I'm living water. I am the most important person, period. And we can run to him and we can be refreshed. And if we're not continually being refreshed by the Lord, you know what's going to happen? You're going to start looking like the world. You're going to start thinking like the world. You're going to start acting like the world. And some of us need to be, as it were, clean today. We need to be refreshed by the Word of God through Christ. He can refresh you. Have you been really thirsty? What is it? You only think about one thing, water, when you're really thirsty, right? But some of us are really thirsty for walking with to, with Christ. We Maybe you've veered off the path and you've allowed a sin to overwhelm you and now you're kind of in that pattern and you keep being like... Because you're a true believer, the Spirit of God is keep knocking. He's saying, listen, just get in fellowship with me. You know what? You can try to run. You can try to make family and sports and materialism and everything else most important in your life. But he keeps knocking saying, listen, the only thing that's going to refresh your soul is me. Right? I don't know. I can say this very because I've been there before. And I'm running, trying to make other things more important. And he keeps saying, the only thing that can refresh your soul, John, is me. So again, creates a thirst. This inward transformation. So salt should flavor. It should create a thirst within the unbeliever. But also, and this is what the primary use of salt was, a preservative. A preservative. The question is this, do you counteract the worldly wickedness? Do you expose ungodliness? Because of its preservative nature, the mineral was often used in Bible times symbolically to authenticate a covenant. People would actually toss salt over a covenant that they were making with each other. I.e., as salt preserves, so should this covenant last forever. That's the idea. Okay? Again, there were no refrigerators back then, so everything had to be salted. If you're going to keep something, I mean, any type of meat or anything like that. So again, the preservative idea, keeping it from getting rotten. By the way, you couldn't take a rotten piece of meat and throw salt on it. All you could do is take a good piece of meat and keep it and preserve it from being rotten. Now, that's real important because when it comes to salt, it's more of a defensive thing. And the preservative idea is more of a defensive thing. Stopping the world from being so rotten. Okay? Again, see, there's an error out there in the world. And the error is this, that the world is basically good and getting better. How many of you actually believe that? I've got some white coats out here that will take you away. No. (laughs) What does Timothy say? Evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's, It's an absolute error to think that we are getting better. Actually, the world is on a downward decline. I mean, we're developing weapons of mass destruction, and you know what? Are willing to use them. I mean, that shows the deceitfulness of man, the, the, uh, the wickedness of men. 
Yes, knowledge and information and technology is increasing, but the heart is unchanged. And actually, the information and the technology is making it the ability to, to sin even to a greater degree. I mean, you look at just like the Internet and all the media, all the different ways that men and women can now sin that they couldn't have 50 years ago. So again, modern man has more ways to express his depravity, not less. It's actually getting worse. The other error is not only that it's getting better, but because the world is wicked. Now, this is the other error. We need to, like, retreat. Like, where is the monastery? Where I just need to be in church all the time. And that's not what Jesus said. The main purpose of salt was preservation. And he's not talking about go out and join moral majority. But what he is saying is this, that salt was never effective until it was rubbed into the meat. And now think about this. And we're never going to be really effective until we're rubbed into the world. We need to be there. Now again, not of it, but we need to be there. We need to be in the world. We need to, not of it. We need to be in the world and actually having a, uh, a flavoring effect and a preserving effect, which says this to me. I need to speak up. I think sometimes I'm too quiet. You see stuff going around and like, well, you know, you don't want to offend anybody. You're going to offend. Let's just take, all right, so that one's out of the way. You've got to speak up. You've got to speak the truth in love. That's, the most, that's why he left us here. If it wasn't for that, what is it? We might as well go to heaven, right? Again, we're the preserving influence. We are the only preserving influence in the world. We need to live a godly life. We need to proclaim the gospel to, as it were, even slow the moral depravity down. Now, again, I'm not talking about joining moral majority or anything like that. Um, well, think of it this way. When the, when the Christians are raptured out of this world, it takes less than seven years for this, the world to go to the very brink of hell. Why? Because all these years the Christians were the, the, um, the, what was holding back the immorality, the ungodliness, the depravity. I found an interesting concept. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the old English preacher of last century, wrote this. He said, Most competent historians are agreed in saying that what undoubtedly saved England from a revolution such as that experienced in France at the end of the 18th century was nothing but the evangelical revival. He goes on and basically says this, if it hadn't been for the Christians in England, the Christians in England who were living for Jesus Christ, they would have gone through in England what they went through in France, and that was just revolution after revolution, constant you know, upheaval. And yet what saved them was what? Christians acting like salt. If, by the way, if there's ever hope for America, it's not voting in uh, Rick Perry. It's going to be that Christians act like Christians. And by the way, we might act like Christians and still go through a very, very hard time. But the point is, we need to act like salt. The hope is in the gospel and not in some political man. So that's what, that's what salt does. It flavors, it creates thirst, but it's a preservative. It's a preservative. It was rubbed into the meat, and we need to be a preservative. He is rubbing you into the society. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you do for work, what you do with family, who your friends are, but he wants to rub the preservative into your relationships. Let's look at light. Not only you are the salt of the earth, but you are the light of the world. 
You know, the characteristic of light is different than the characteristic of salt. The quality of spiritual light possesses some definite contrast to spiritual salt. Light depicts divine truth. That's what, when we talk about light, we're talking about divine truth being directly communicated, whereas salt is an indirect influence. It's just being rubbed in. Light works mostly through the proclamation of truth. Salt works direct, uh, indirectly through how we live. Salt has more to do with our life. Light has more to do with what we say. Light generally has a more positive ministry than salt does. Salt is just basically holding back corruption. Light is then moving and saying this is the path. All right. So you could see some of the differences between the idea of salt and light. And you might say, but where's the source from? John 1.9, Jesus proclaims, he says, that he is the true light. He's the true light, which gives light to every man. He proclaimed later on that I am the light of the world. So the light is Christ, obviously. No, so, but that one verse, it says, he's the true light, which gives light to every man. So he, he, so we become what? Are we light bearers? Well, we are actually light reflectors. It comes from Christ reflected through Christians. How do we reflect the light of Christ? Well, like a few months ago, we looked at Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That's light reflectors. But Lord, I, I want to be a good light reflector. Okay, all right, John, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you, and I'm going to, I'm going to put you right into the situation so that you can be a light reflector right, around, right in a dark world. See, sometimes we get to that dark world, and now all of a sudden we don't want to be light reflectors. He gives you a hard situation, but I, Lord, I didn't want this. I wanted to walk with you. Well, yeah, but you only know if you're walking with me when I put you in the dark place. Because if you look dark, then maybe you have to question whether or not you're even light. You know, are you as reflectors? Do you see what I'm saying? He puts us in the hard situation. You want to be light? I'm, you, no, it's not do you want to be light. You are light. And now I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in these dark places so that you can show them the truth because once the Christians are gone there's no light left so we're light and we just reflect that's why Paul says in Ephesians you are you were once darkness but now you are our light in the Lord walk as children of light walk as you are light but walk as children of light we want to expose the darkness uh, a couple of weeks ago we were looking at uh, Matthew 16 and there one little phrase, and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. And the idea is this, the gates of hell are all the satanic, ungodly teachings. And the point is that the, the, those gates cannot hold back the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel runs right over the gates of hell. Something that was very secure in the Old Testament and New Testament. Like when you were gated in a city, you were protected. And you have all these souls that have been uh, gated in by Satan's lies, and yet the gospel is going to crush through that gate and, and rescue the rescue those who are held hostage by the evil one. But that's what the light does. See, we shine the light into the dark area, and 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 it's, it's like um, Corinthians chapter ten. Uh, it says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of the strongholds. 
casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It's, that's true spiritual warfare. People talk about spiritual warfare and the demons and all this stuff. That's not sp- spiritual warfare is when someone is, is being chained behind those gates of Hades, and the light of the gospel crushes through that gate into the heart of that person, and they recognize, I thought that this was truth, and now I see that's error, and Christ is the truth. That is spiritual warfare. Now, sometimes they don't respond the way that we want. Sometimes they respond like the Pharisees and the Sadducees with Stephen, and they seek to destroy him, and they seek to destroy you. But that's spiritual warfare. Now, Let's just end with this. What is the challenge of being salt and light? Now, again, you are salt and light, but what, is, what are the challenges? Well, he gives us the challenge in both of them. What, what is the pitfall? What could, what could happen to make you um, useless? Well, the first point is this. Though we cannot lose our essence, we can lose our usefulness. What do I mean? Well, really, salt cannot be unsalty. What did Jesus say? Um, you are the salt of earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Well, actually what happened back then is salt itself could lose its flavor by impurities. Okay, The impurities would be gypsum and other minerals that were found, especially around the Dead Sea. So it's not that the salt itself... What became anything different in as far as composition. <coughs> what it did is impurities were added to that pure salt and now it lost its flavor. It's interesting too. This word flavor is moreno, which we get the word moros, which we get the word moron. Okay? In other words, the idea is this. You lose your flavor when you become like the, the point. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. As we move towards ungodliness, we are losing our flavor. As we become impure, we lose our flavor. We lose the ability to, to affect a world around us. He's really talking about a purity issue. We have to be different from the world. You know, how, you know what Satan wants to do to get you? Now, you are salt regardless. It's just whether or not you're a good influence. He wants to get you to think like the world and act like the world and motivated with world things. Okay? It's an impurity thing. And Jesus said, listen, yeah, there are going to be some who are the salt of the earth, but they're going to lose their flavor because of the impurities. And then what does it say? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And that's what they would do. When they found salt that had been sold to them, given to them, that was impure with gypsum in it, they would literally, they wouldn't put it even on their garden. They would put it on the footpath to the garden. And it would just, that would be the only purpose for impure salt would just be the footpath. Again, he's not talking about losing your salvation. This is all about influence, all about effectiveness. Some of us are not effective because we're impure. We have sin in our life. We have motivations in our life that are not God-honoring. And he says, listen, thankfully, whereas salt could not be made pure, you couldn't take the gypsum out. It's too intricate. Thankfully for a Christian, we can, right? Some of you are impure. You're not having an effective life as far as ministry. You know what? It's as simple as 1 John if we confess our sins. Isn't that great? 
He can, he can get you back on the path of righteousness as of today, as of right now. You can be salt, salt that actually has a major effect on people. So are you contaminated? Are you contaminated today? Oh, we all get contaminated, but we need to continually go through the process. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Saul can, can become contaminated. That's how that worked and, and made it uh, no longer useful. Light can become hidden. Look at verse uh, 14. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but, under, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light, uh, light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let it shine. Well, what's the opposite? Putting something over it. Sometimes our salt, our lives become contaminated. Sometimes our light becomes hidden. We hide it. Oh, we might hide it because of fear, fear of offending someone. That's why we hide our light. We have the truth. It's right in it. In fact, they're talking and I'm like ready to like say something, but man, maybe they will not accept it. Or sometimes it's because of indifference. You know, we don't speak simply because we're not that concerned. <laughs> you know, I'm going to heaven. Everything's set for me. My family is all pretty well walking with the Lord. You know, they got their problems. Why even put myself through it? That's indifference. That's being loveless. Interesting story that came out of England. During the reign of Oliver Cromwell, there was a shortage of currency in the British Empire. Representatives carefully searched the nation in hopes of finding silver to meet the emergency. After one month, the committee returned with its report. This is what they said. We have searched the empire in vain seeking to find silver. To our dismay, we found none anywhere except in the cathedrals where the statues of the saints are made of the best silver. That's the only place we can find it is in the cathedrals. This is what he said. Melt down the saints and put them into circulation. You know, and I think sometimes that's what God is saying to us. You know, just get them out. Is it important to fellowship? Is it important to be around other Christians? Absolutely. The one anothering. But sometimes we have to say, you know what? We Put yourself into circulation tomorrow when you go to work. The next time you're at that game. The next time you're on vacation. Put yourself in circulation. Lord, I'm salt in light. What do you want me to do? Lord, I'm even praying today. Give me an opportunity. That's the first thing. We, can lose our, we can't lose our essence, but we can lose our usefulness. The second is this. Though we can make some impact as individuals, we make greater impact as a body. Because, you know, the you are the salt and you are the light are both in the plural, the emphatic plural. Sure, isolated grains of salt or beams of light are of limited effect in comparison to when they are joined together with other grains of salt and other beams of light. And that's called the church. See, we working together is more effective than us working individually. I meant to bring in one of those one million power spotlights, you know, and shine it right into your eyes. (laughs) And you would have gone, oh, don't do that. So I didn't. But 
You want to have great impact? Let's work together, right? So what's your IQ? What's your influ influencing uh, quotient today? Are you influencing others around you? Are you influencing your spouse, your family, your friends, your workers, those people that you rub shoulders with? Or do they, are you a secret service Christian? A good illustration of the concerted teamwork was portrayed years ago in a magazine article. Apparently, this four-year-old boy had wandered from his Kansas farm home into an adjacent wheat field. And the news article gave basically four pictures of the whole sequence of finding this boy. The first showed how vast the field was. And you know out there, I mean, it's mile after mile of fields, right? I mean, huge. The second picture highlighted the boy's distressed mother sitting inside their home. His parents had searched for him all day, but he was too short to be seen in the midst of those long wheat shafts. Third picture depicted the dozens of friends and neighbors who had formed a human chain the following morning to continue the search through the wheat field. The fourth was the, the saddest of them all showed a distraught father holding the lifeless boy who had not been found until after he had died of exposure. And underneath the four pictures read this, Oh God, if only we had joined hands sooner. Father, I haven't sought to take them out of the world. I've sought to leave them in the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. But the other part is this, and, Lord, and he would tell us, and we need to join hands. We need to work together. We need to do the one anothering, not only to each other, but then we need to serve those who are outside the body of Christ, right? We need to join hands because that's how he wants to work. You, but it's the plural, not you individually. No, I can do this Christian thing on my own. You missed the point. No, you working together are going to be the salt. You working together going to be the light. Amen? Let's be that salt and light. Are you pure? Because if you're going to be effective as salt, you have to be pure. The other is, are you, do you hide the light? Or do you actually shine? Has fear gripped your heart at times? And no, I don't want to speak. No, light has to be shown. You don't put a, a basket over light. But did you notice the great encouragement that that plural was? Now think about how encouraging. At least for a pastor, that's very encouraging. It's not about me. It's not even about you. It's about him. He, he gave us a group. So you have someone that's really on your heart, and you're maybe like, oh, I've got to get the truth to him. And you try, and then they, they don't do anything with it. But remember, it's plural. Some are praying some are the example, some are planting the seeds, some are, are, are watering, some are, you know, digging up the weeds around that person's life. It's plural. Boy, that just takes a burden off of my heart, my life. I don't know about yours. It's like, you know what, I just need to be what I need to be to that person. Let God deal with the, the consequences. Let God deal with the crop, okay? See, when you look at plural, you don't, that should not pressure you. Well, it should pressure you to be pure. <laughs> it should pressure you to be willing to speak. But not for the, the crop. 
God is the one that's going to produce the crop. And he's got a whole lot of people in his field doing the work. Okay? And so we can just relax. And we can be encouraged and say, Lord, just just use me the way you want to use me. And Lord, use everyone else in this area that are believers as salt and light as well. And Lord, I'm going to let let the, the, the crop be in your hands, however how bountiful the crop is. Lord, I'm not going to be pressured by this thing. I'm just going to walk with you. And if you just walk with him and we all just walk with him, then he's going to really use us marvelously to produce a bountiful crop. Amen? He will. Father, again, we thank you for these reminders. And Father, I pray specifically for the person who is just under the weight and is really not seeing the freedom of walking with you, and therefore they're just not the salt and light they need to be. Father, I pray that they would just run to you, confess their sin. Lord, that they would sense your freedom, just the fact that you've taken the weight off of their shoulders. Lord, help us to be this salt and light. Help us to have a a great impact, a great influence on this area for the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.